Mm -hmm. um, I was willing to use anybody around me. I mean, people were just a means to an end to get what I wanted for self. So ultimately, I manipulated them, I would cheat, I would steal, I would do anything I could to extract value from other people, but it was always me being front and center and other people being less important in my eyes because they were just really a means to get what I wanted. Every single person is vulnerable to the sin of pride. You might be the kind of person who loves being in the background, or maybe you're a people person and you have never met a stranger. It makes no difference. Pride will try to find a way to express itself. Thanks for joining us. This is the third episode in our series, Exposing the Root of All Sin. There are so many manifestations of pride that many people are blind to the way it takes root in their hearts. For the next few weeks, we're going to look at specific forms of pride, and we're going to ask the Lord to open our eyes and to help us to repent. Today, we start with the type of pride found in those who want to be at the top and in the center. You're listening to Purity for Life. I want to be the best. I want everyone to love me. These are the words of self-exalting pride. Now, I want to mention that it isn't inherently wrong to be outgoing, but this desire, this lust to be at the top and in the center is sinful pride because it is welling up from a motive to promote self. What are some common ways that we do this? I've brought in Dustin Renz, founder of Makeway Ministries, to help shed light on this vital question. Dustin, over the last few episodes, we've been talking about the nature of our self-lives and the pride that arises out of it to protect and promote our inner world. Today, we're going to begin some sessions where we look specifically at different forms of pride. But before we go there, I want you to talk about your testimony. Pastor Steve said in his book that there's this driving force inside of a lot of people, which in effect is, I will protect and promote my rights, if need be, at your expense. When you think about your old life, do you see that kind of a mindset playing out? Sure. For me, um, my life was just completely focused around myself, um, especially my addictions, that whole phase of my life where I was really just pursuing the things that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I was willing to use anybody around me. I mean, people were just a means to an end to get what I wanted for self. So ultimately, I manipulated them. I would cheat. I would steal. I would do anything I could to extract value from other people. But it was always me being front and center and other people being less important in my eyes because they were just really a means to get what I wanted. Dustin, today we're going to discuss various manifestations of pride that all revolve around self-exaltation. Either we try to make ourselves to be better than everyone around us, or we're constantly trying to be the center of attention. And typically, the type of person that exhibits this form of pride is going to be your driven, type A personality. And one of the ways that that shows up 
is when a person does a lot of boasting. That's not a word that we use a lot in the American uh, culture, but if we look at the scriptures, it's obvious that boasting is very displeasing to God. Can you talk about what boasting is and how we see it play out? Yeah, boasting is really the intentional effort that we make to try to draw attention to ourselves, but using our words. Okay. So the boastful person, they want everybody to know what they're good at. Usually it's their strengths, you know, it's their, it could be their looks, their wealth, their talents, whatever God has given to them, they want to draw attention uh, to it with the intention of putting the magnifying glass on self and not on God. Sure. Um, all those things that God gives to us, they're actually gifts to bring glory to God. And so mm. that's the purpose of it. But we try to take that glory and steal it for self. And so the boastful person uses their words. Um, they love to tell you what they're good at, their achievements, their, you know, all these the awards that they've won. And they really want to draw attention to so that people look at them and say, wow, you're really something special. Right. Um, you know, Jesus talks about how out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. And so when we have pride in our hearts, it often manifests in a boastful attitude through our words. Yeah, and what you were saying there about people wanting glory for themselves, that really helps because then we're seeing the heart attitude behind the outward action. And that really helps us to not only see if I am boasting where I need to cut back my words, but it also is showing me what's going on inside. And these little manifestations of pride can be so subtle mm -hmm. that we all can learn something and see where our hearts are at. Mm -hmm. So the next manifestation of pride that we want to discuss is know-it-all pride. And we all probably have in our minds the stereotypical picture of a person who exhibits know-it-all pride. They have an opinion about everything. They can wax eloquent on any subject. They want to know every detail about things, even if it doesn't concern them. And so I would like to get your perspectives on this kind of pride. First of all, what does this kind of pride reveal about the heart of that person? Yeah, for sure. I've dealt with this in my life, and God really did uh, work oh. when I was at Pure Life Ministries in the program. People who aren't familiar with the program wouldn't know, but they use a thing called Talk Fast, where yeah. you're, for a period of time, not allowed to talk to anyone on campus. Yeah, and for everyone's good. Yeah, for everyone's good, right? <laughs> So, um, so I was on one for a week with everybody, and my counselor, because of the pride in my heart, said, you know what, you need to go another week. And it ended up being like six weeks I was on a talk wow. fast. And what happened in that time is I would be in a situation where people would be conversing, hanging out, talking, and I would think about all the things that I would do if I was able to talk. Sure. And I realized, like, I hijacked conversations. I'd throw out my opinion. I would be, like, the teacher of all teachers. So uh -huh. I was always using my words and my, you know, supposed knowledge to try to show how, how knowledgeable I was in different areas. And so the Lord really used that to reveal to me that beneath all those manifestations of the pride sure. was really a heart that really felt like I knew better than everyone else. I elevated mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. sense of uh, what I thought was intelligence, and sure. I really used people um, in conversation. It, when I was talking to someone, it wasn't about how can I use my words to bless that person, right. how can I be Christ to them. Right. It was about how can I prove to them that I know something. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. my opinion became the chief end of it, and it just reveals what happens inside. When you elevate yourself internally, it comes out in different ways. And for me, it was always just trying to be you know, the, the one who knew it all and who always was the life of the party kind of thing. Man, I can totally relate to that whole thing of just, it's like you don't really care about the other person 
even being there, they're just a means to exhibit how mm -hmm. much you know about things. Oh. But that really ties in with something that I once heard where a man said that the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it's the illusion of knowledge. And that really shows, spiritually speaking, how dangerous know-it-all pride is. Because if you already know everything, how can you ever grow spiritually? Yeah, the problem with the know-it-all is that they're completely unteachable. Uh, because after all, if you already know everything, then you have nothing to receive. People don't have anything of value to give you. Yeah. You don't think you need anyone else's wisdom. You don't want to hear their opinion because you already have it all made up in yeah, your mind. Yeah. And so in Matthew 18, I think about Jesus. He talked about humbling ourselves like little children. Yeah. And when you think about the humility of a child, when they're really young, they understand what they know and what they don't know. Mm. So if you ask them a question, they don't know. They don't try to make up an answer. They're like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I can only do certain things. They feel mm. their limitations, right. and they don't have this, you know— image of, you know, their grand intellect that they somehow have it all. That happens when they're teenagers. You know, that's when they start to get that. <laughs> then they do know everything. Right, exactly. So, but while they're young, you know, they have that that humility. And Jesus said that's how we should reflect um, humility in our lives. Yeah. And so the issue with someone who's unteachable is there's no way for them to receive from the Lord. There's no way for them to grow yeah. spiritually because they already feel like they've hit a plateau and there's no going up. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. when you bring yourself down and you begin to see yourself with a real estimate, then there's a lot more room for growth and then yeah. you're able to receive not only from the Lord but from other people. Yeah, amen. Okay, so let's switch gears and let's talk about vanity. Vanity is another manifestation of self-exalting pride. And our culture is just constantly feeding us this idea that our value and our worth comes from what we wear, how we look, what we drive, the house we have, etc. When you see a person who is controlled by vanity, what is that revealing to you about their heart? Yeah. So the vain person, they put all their focus on the externals. Yeah. So they put up an image of themselves. It could be their looks, their clothing, their you know vehicle, whatever, like those, yeah. those social things. And they try to present an image of themselves that they want other people to appreciate and to bring attention to. Okay. So they're extracting value from people around them. They're trying to get what they feel like they need from other people. Yeah. But it's 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 surface level. It's always about based on something that's outward, not about the inward. Sure. If you think about the scripture in Samuel, where Samuel says that man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. Mm. They basically take that scripture and chop it in half, and they focus all their life, their whole existence is all about that first part, man looking at the outward. Mm. And they completely neglect their hearts when they mm. should be allowing the Lord to search them and not you know, keeping people at a distance because of that image they're trying to uphold. Okay, so let's switch gears again, and now let's talk about another manifestation of self-exalting pride, which is haughtiness. Mm. And this is something that I can really, really relate to from my own life, um, because haughtiness really is believing not only that you're more important than other people, but that you actually are better than mm. they are. Pastor Steve wrote, the arrogant person finds something about himself that he deems commendable and then uses that quality as the ultimate benchmark for establishing the worth of every human being. This form of pride can be a little bit difficult to discern because when we picture the extreme examples of a really outwardly arrogant mm -hmm. person, then we fail to see it in ourselves. Sure. Um, can you talk about how this type of pride can really sneak into a person's everyday life? Sure. 
haughtiness is really an air of superiority. And what the haughty person does is they find a strength in themselves, uh-huh. one that they think that they're just really good at, and they use that strength as a filter to determine the worth of other people. Right, right. So it, it's what it's something that I'm good at, obviously. I'm not going to use my weaknesses for this, but <laughs> yeah. I find something good, and then I look at you, and I say, oh, you're not as good at me at this, and so therefore you don't have as much value as I do. Yeah, yeah. And by, by lifting myself up, I push other people down yep. because they can't measure up to me. Yeah. Uh, you really become like the judge and jury of everybody in your life, which is why haughtiness and a critical spirit go hand in hand. Okay. You, you become super critical of everybody, and you're constantly rating people on a value system that you've actually set up, right. and no one will ever measure up to it because yeah, you're yeah. the one who's in control of it. Yeah. So I think a practical way for people to search for it in their hearts is to think about something you really think you're good at mm-hmm. and find somebody who's doing that and maybe even doing it better than you mm-hmm. and examine what's happening in your thought life internally. Yeah. If you can really be grateful for other people's success, they get recognition, you know, they get the spotlight and you're just like really grateful that look how God created them, that would show some humility. But if you're sit there and pick apart, you know, whatever they're doing, oh, I could do it better. I would have done it this way, you yeah. know, and, and and start to do that critical thing internally, then it's a sign of haughtiness in our heart mm. that we need to repent of. Mm. And I, and one like slight variation of that is if you're not good at something, and you see someone else who is, mm-hmm. and you're angry or self-pitying or envying, that also shows maybe not an arrogant spirit, but it shows that inside of us, we want to be good. We want to exalt ourselves, And that's another way, I think, that I've seen it in my own life is like just this desire to be better than everyone around me. Yeah. Well, and in both of those cases... It's the same as all these other manifestations of pride. The focus is on us yep. rather than appreciating how God created other people. Yeah. And maybe they're better at some things or they, they you know, are more skilled. We should be able to just appreciate that. But when the focus yeah. is on us, whether we feel better or worse, um, it's still the focus on how we feel about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And you've done a really good job of, of showing that all of these little manifestations of pride really are just tied back to I want self mm-hmm. to be exalted. And we need to talk now about how detestable pride is to the Lord, because we can have a little theological discussion and maybe even point out some manifestations of pride, but I think it's really important for people to understand that God is very, very serious about this issue of pride. And um, if we're not careful, very careful, in the fear of the Lord— allowing him to deal with the pride in our hearts, then we end up in a really dangerous spiritual condition. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what the end is for a person who just won't repent of pride? Sure. So scripture takes a really hard stance, not only on haughtiness, but all forms of pride Mm -hmm. when it comes from God's perspective. Um, I think of scriptures like Psalm 101, it says that God will not endure those with haughty eyes and a proud heart. Or even in James, he says that God resists the proud. Yeah, And so there's this, this teaching in Scripture that God clearly is against pride. So to the person who lives in just you know complete pride, whatever manifestation, their whole life, and they never repent, then obviously they'll be eternally separated from God in sure. hell. That's yeah. the end of that. Uh, but even as believers, you know, the Lord will deal with us if we allow Him to. And he'll, he wants to get these things out of our lives that right. we're talking about. He, he wants to help us. He wants to help us become humble. But it involves his process of discipline. You know, in Hebrews, it says that God disciplines those he loves. Yeah, and yeah. One of those is by revealing our hearts and showing us the pride that's there. Yeah. And so 
when God does that, what happens inside of us determines really which path we take. Um, if we humble ourselves and admit it, you know, it doesn't mean that you won't deal with pride throughout your life. All of us deal with it. But it's that moment when the Lord reveals it to us. Yeah. Are, we, are we willing to lower ourselves, humble ourselves before God and ask for his help? Or are we going to, you know, bow up and stiffen our necks against him? Yeah. And those two options speak a lot about what's going on in our hearts. Hmm. And I think for the person who just has known pride in their life and they're refusing to repent, um, it's really dangerous to call themselves a Christian because that's really antithetical to what the Bible teaches about the Christian life. Okay, Dustin, so here's the last question. We're going to talk a little bit about narcissism. In the book, Pastor Steve points out that narcissism isn't really another form of pride. It's pride pushed to its extreme limit. So a person who's a narcissist doesn't just want the approval of other people. He's devastated if he doesn't get it. He's not just looking to be the center of attention. He demands to be the center of attention. Mm -hmm. And maybe if a person's listening today, they know someone who's like this, and it just seems like there's no hope for a person in this condition. But if a person knows uh, someone who's like this, or maybe they even are afraid that they're a narcissist, why should they have hope that this person can change? Sure. So I would say that there's always hope for every single person. There's all kinds of examples in Scripture of God humbling extremely proud people. Mm -hmm. uh, you think about Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon. You know, he was filthy rich, super powerful. Um, if you didn't bow down to his shrine or interpret his dream correctly, he would have you killed immediately. Yeah. And so that's pretty intense. And um, Daniel, the prophet, actually interprets one of his dreams and tells him God's going to humble uh, Nebuchadnezzar for a season. Mm. And there's a day that Nebuchadnezzar, he's out looking at his kingdom. He's filled with pride in his heart. And at yeah. that moment, God humbles him. And for quite a period of time, he's actually loses his mind. And the scripture says he was with the cattle, like grazing in the fields. Yeah. So he comes to, and in that moment, he sees God for who he is. He actually uh, prays and, and praises God, um, the God of heaven, the God of Israel. And he specifically says in Daniel 4.37 that God's able to humble those who walk in pride. Mm. And mm -hmm. so that's one example of, of somebody who is extremely full of self, narcissistic, and yet God brought him down. Yeah. Um, the Apostle Paul is another example, uh, full of himself, you know, pursuing and, and persecuting the church that God was trying to plant. He was completely doing everything in his own strength, and yet God knocked him down on the road to Damascus. He yeah. has this vision of Jesus, and he's completely humbled in that moment and becomes yeah. this very humble apostle that we see that wrote m most of the New Testament. <laughs> yeah. And so... There's never a person who's without hope. It doesn't matter how high or full of themselves. All they need is really to get a vision of the cross. And in that place, when you look at the cross, you see yourself in light of Jesus. You see yourself in light of God. Yeah. Um, you, you realize how small and insignificant you are, and yet Jesus still died for you. And mm, so mm. the person who's able to have that and see that and, and God can open up their eyes to that can, yeah. can be humbled from the most high of places. And so I would say that there's always hope for every single yeah. person. As long as the cross is available, there's always hope. Yeah, amen. I was just thinking about the, the word in um, Proverbs that said, if you would but turn at my rebuke, I would pour out my spirit to you. I would make my words known to you. And it does show that there is tremendous hope because God is always trying to get us to turn from pride. And if we would do it, he'll lavish us yeah. with his spirit and his wisdom, and he'll bring us to exactly the place that we need to be. So yeah. you're right, there is hope. Thanks so much for coming in and talking with us. Sure, thanks for having me. As we discussed in a previous episode, pride is the attitude that the self-life uses to protect itself. 
Pride constructs a wall around our inner man to protect it from anything threatening. Now, like any barrier, pride has its areas of vulnerability, and often, with enough pressure, the walls begin to crumble. And when this breach occurs, things begin to rush out of our self-life to try and fill the gap. These things aren't pride, per se. You could call them daughters of pride. They're sinful behaviors that attempt to help nurse our sorely bruised egos. The rage in my life started at a very early age. I grew up in a household full of alcoholics, so there was no security. I had no foundation, and because I saw in them a love for alcohol that was greater than a love for me, and a desire, a need for that, what I saw in my parents was a, a form of neglect, and that impacted me greatly. So in that way, since I couldn't do anything to affect their desire for me, no matter my behavior, I got angry and frustrated. And it started out as a little kid. I would scream and yell and shout and pound and act in a chaotic manner in order to gain their attention. Uh, as I grew older, um, I believe from a, a really deep-seated fear of rejection and a fear of, of seeing that I wasn't valuable in the eyes of others, I started placing expectations on my relationships with people, and when they didn't get met, I would get angry. And so not being able to win their affection through effort, I got really angry. I had no answer for how to make people like me or love me. So I would suddenly just erupt with my coaches. I looked at them and I started to perceive in myself that I knew more. My, my own desire to say, I'm always right. And these people don't have a clue. I would start to look at them and demean them in my mind and my heart. So when they said something to me that intruded on how I viewed myself, that was a cut or a rebuke or a question, even a question, I would rise up so quickly. In my family's life, what I saw was more how they responded to me. My daughter would cry constantly when I would erupt. Little things would just rip me up. She could do something and I would explode. Not even at her, I would just explode. But she felt the brunt of it. I destroyed vacations. I saw them pull away from me because they didn't want to be around a man who was rageful. I destroyed intimacy with my wife because she would get angry back and wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. I was judging them, <laughs> my daughter and my wife. I judged them because of my rage. My, my wife and daughter were just walking around on eggshells constantly, which caused them to want to not be near me. And the more they isolated from me, the more I got angry. And so I walked around in my house as king in my own mind, and everybody else looked at me as a jerk. And they avoided me. Over the next few weeks, we're going to discuss several of these Daughters of Pride. They will relate to the main type of pride we're discussing, 
But even if you can't fully relate to the main kind of pride being discussed, keep your heart and mind open to see if the Lord wants to speak to you. I asked Chris Hurley to join me in the studio. Chris is one of our pastoral counselors in the residential program because I want him to talk with me about our first daughter of pride, which is rage. The Greek word translated rage means anger that can be explosive and deadly. And Chris, I want to get your perspective because as you counsel men in our residential program, you come across this, I'm sure. One thing that we know about sin of every stripe is that it's progressive. A person doesn't wake up one morning and start visiting prostitutes, and he doesn't give himself over to rage the first time that he's provoked. How, do, how does a person get to the place where they're given over to rage? Do you see things, common things, that lead men to that point over time? Sure, they, they all sort of express in one way or another a huge amount of self-righteousness that within their own eyes, they've created a false impression that they are always right. Mm. And so what we see in men that get rage-filled is that anyone that tests the boundaries of their belief system about themselves is uh, an intruder mm -hmm. and a danger mm -hmm. because they have such a fragile wall of self-defense around them mm. that has been fostered by hurts and pains and issues in their past that if you question them mm -hmm. about who they think they are mm -hmm. in their own eyes, it can blow them out of the water and they just suddenly erupt. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that self-righteousness and that arrogance because I was going to ask you a question about um, how arrogance erupts into violent anger because we do see that happening in the life of Jesus. He ministered in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and this is in Luke 4, and he explained that basically you're not going to believe in my ministry because I'm going to have to deal with you as sinners in a sense. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up because that's really helpful. Can you identify any other prideful attitudes that fuel rage and violent anger? Well, if I, I, I can look at my own life and see that uh, perfectionism fuels arrogance. Uh, they're hand in hand. You see yourself as being above everyone else. The Bible is very clear. It says, think of others more highly than you think of yourself. Yeah. But for a person that's filled with pride and filled with the idea of perfectionism as the only way they can be acceptable to others, mm. it's a free highway to anger. You can't be perfect, so you will <laughs> right. get angry. And people will say, hey, that's not good enough. And you will resent that. Uh -huh. And you will start to become rage-filled. Mm -hmm. And I, I look at the biblical examples that I saw before coming in to talk with you today. One is Naaman who was a general in the Syrian army and highly valued by his king and yeah. thought uh, thought of as a very good, not just a good soldier, but by his king as a somewhat yeah. righteous man sure. in his king's eyes. So he has to go. He's a leper. He has to go to Israel because his little servant girl said, there is a prophet in Israel that would cure you. So we see Naaman going to Elisha. And when he gets there, 
Elisha doesn't even come out of his house. Mm-hmm. He sends his servant. His servant says, yeah, just go wash in the Jordan seven times. And his pride is assaulted. It's like, I expected a ceremony. He would hold my right, hand. Right, he right. would say these brilliant prayers, right? Yeah, I'm more valuable than all that. And the great thing about this story is that the ones who spoke truth into his life were his servants, the mm-hmm. lowest of the low. And they said, well, his servant said to Naaman, if he had asked you to do a great thing, you would have done it. Well, then yeah. why not try this and see? And of course, we know he gets healed by doing this and humbling himself. The other being Nebuchadnezzar, who when he erected this massive statue right. and made it an edict that everyone had to bow down before it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused because they believed in Yahweh. When this was brought to the attention of Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, no, we will not bow down to your image. He was filled with rage. Yeah. And he said, take the furnace and heat it seven times hotter. And I can see that in him. You assaulted my pride. Yeah. You assaulted what I view as my self-worth and said, I'm not worthy of you bowing to me? Sure. As a king? Wow. But we have bowed as men, proud and arrogant. We have bowed to everything but our God. Mm. And... One of the things we bowed to is anger. Yeah. Yeah, and in upcoming episodes, we're going to address the ways to overcome. You've already talked about it. I mean, obviously, humbling ourselves, and (laughs) that's going to be clear in every episode Mm. when we talk about how to come out of pride. But to close out this interview, what I want to talk about is are there things that would hinder a person from getting victory over rage and anger. Because I think if we could talk about a couple hindrances, that would help the audience be ready to hear the positive steps toward victory. I think in the world today, it's pretty obvious that one of the themes that's played in the world of psychology is the idea of self-esteem. Part of the issue with self-esteem is that we use outside sources for our view of ourself, mm-hmm. our wealth. If we are very wealthy, we have very high self-esteem. If we have a great education and great knowledge, um, we exalt ourselves over those so that we consider less intelligent. So self-esteem has a huge role to play in hindering men believing that they are the problem in their lives with pride mm-hmm. and with anger and rage. So. Another factor uh, that hinders people from overcoming rage and anger is resistance to authority, whether it's spiritual authority or earthly authority. When men come to pure life, they are put under the authority of a biblical counselor. um, And for men who have never submitted to authority and have called themselves Christians, the whole idea of sitting down and having someone confront your flesh with, let's look at your life and see what the fruit of your life is, gets them angry. Mm. And you can see it in their demeanor when they sit back in the chair that you've just hit something in them that is a frontal attack on who they believe themselves to be. And it takes a while for them to actually sit down with me and say, I suddenly realized after reading the Bible, I am the problem. I am the problem. So it takes a while to break through that wall of self-defense that we all erect to protect ourselves. 
If the self-life is our greatest enemy, and if pride is the natural atmosphere that comes from it, then one of the things we desperately need is humility. In later episodes, we're going to spend concerted effort to unpack what humility really is, and we're going to show you how it relates to overcoming the self-life. But for now, while we're dealing with various forms of pride, I want to briefly discuss some practical ways to repent of pride. For instance, how do you overcome the need to be top and center? One thing that has helped me tremendously is to realize that pride is just another form of lust. The need to be seen as bigger and better and more important than others or to be the center of attention, how is that any different from lust? Now, obviously, it's not sexual in nature, but it is just another form of covetousness. It's wanting something for self. In Exodus 20, God commands the Israelites not to covet their neighbor's house, their neighbor's livelihood, even their neighbor's wife. Now, you can get the sense that at the center of coveting lust is the desire for something we don't have, which implies a dissatisfaction with what we do have. And in top and center pride, this attitude displays itself in a coveting, a lusting for the approval of others, and a dissatisfaction with what God has graciously given to you. So what is a practical way out of this trap? One thing you can do right now to kill this coveting lust is begin to develop a grateful heart. Rather than seeking attention or trying to be the best, you can thank God for what he's given you. You can thank him for what he's doing in the lives of others. You can thank him for the incredible grace and the mercy he has given to you in Jesus. You get the idea. And then you can begin to make things about other people. Give to them. Build them up. Care about them. Don't make everything revolve around you. You see, the issue is that the flow of your life needs to change from centering and revolving around yourself to centering and revolving around Jesus and others. Trust me, it's not going to be easy at first, but as you wholly depend on the Lord, confessing your failures when you see them, he will renew your mind and help you to put on a right spirit. Now, that might seem like a simplistic solution for an overwhelming problem, but gratitude and esteeming others has tremendous power in the spiritual realm. Remember, the culture always wants to give us an easy way out, but true biblical repentance is about overthrowing the reign of the old self and allowing the life of Jesus to rule instead. The fight to overthrow self can be brutal, but there is such reward because Jesus is the prize. Please. Don't harden your heart. Seek the Lord, ask him to help you, and then trust him to produce good fruit in your life. That's all for this episode. We'll see you next time as we discuss a very different form of pride, one focused on protecting the inner sanctuary. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs. 
powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.